Hello, everyone, and welcome to Weekly Manga Recap here on July 24th, 2019. It's 24 of 7, Chris. You know, is that uh, just like, you know, all the time? You know, or like the one championship in WWE that everyone thought was going to suck, but turned out to be really entertaining? Yeah. It's, it, it's ended it's up like being that. the best thing in the company currently going? Uh, amazingly, when, you know, you give wrestlers, you know, I, I let them come up with ideas, then they're better than these sitcom writers trying to do it you know like it's strange and odd and i'm not comfortable with it mm, it's, uh, it disrupts does, the natural order how does our truth still look as good as he does today he's like 47 i think it's insane if, if you told me look i we used to make a joke the same joke about william regal that somewhere in william regal's mm-hmm. attic was a painting that was getting older of him uh <laughs> And now I really have to wonder if there is just something like if there's a new, I don't want to say a steroid, but a new, a new, found of youth. A, a, oh, yeah. a new thing that only wrestlers. Yeah, they, they've found the fountain of youth somewhere in their tour of Poughkeepsie over to Tallahassee. It's somewhere in between there and they know where it is. And just but just the older veteran wrestlers, the new wrestlers, they have no idea. Baron Corbin looks like he's 90. He hasn't found yeah. it yet. But the other people, although he did lose about. 30 years when you decided to lose the the hair yeah. so yeah speak speaking of that by the way have you have you watched stranger things season three yet i have yes okay so i found i amused myself very much greatly during that season because there's a point uh where nancy and uh will's brother whose name i can never remember jonathan, jonathan I think, yes uh, they work at a newspaper right and it's a summer intern job for them and right i'm not sure how old they were supposed to be Judging by the end of the season, I guess they're still under 18 years old. But I found it very amusing because there's a moment where they're like, come on, Nancy, you can't keep doing this. And I really want that line to finish. She's like, I'm a 38-year-old and I can't lose my summer intern job. I will never I will never not be able to assume that guy's like 20 years older than the rest of the cast around him. Oh... What a disappointing season that was, honestly. I there were good parts. Of it. There were good parts of it. There were some very good parts of it, but I, there were just some I, I that the, were kind of losing the magic. I love the final episode, but I swear to God, if the next season involves another fucking organization digging a hole into the other world beneath Hawkins for the fourth fucking time, I'm going to lose my shit. I was like, you have to do something different. You guys can't reach a writer room. And then like, one guy raised his hands like, what if there's an evil organization digging underneath Hawkins again to open up the other world? I was like, no, you can't do it. You can't. It was bad enough three times. But if you do it a fourth time, I'm done. Well, like the, the writers have said, like, we can't have something bad happen to these kids every single year. It's like, well, it's, you're three for three right now. So <laughs> you want to give them a break or something? <laughs> Especially and yeah, you, you're right. It's you like, add, like those who are, those who don't learn from history are doomed to repeat it, kind of things. Like, oh, let's see. Well, these uh, these aliens things or whatever came in through another world. Well, we need to beat the Russians. So what if we dig some more for them? And then they get you know bad shit goes down. They gotta shut the factory down. And then the Russians are like, oh, we could beat the Americans by digging for more. <laughs> like you really you want like a CIA agent to just like be like, hey guys, look, not for nothing. There's nothing good in there. I'm just for your own benefit. It's nothing but monsters in a twisted, cruel reflection of our own reality. Stop going in there. 
Like you get all the stereotypical, like, you know, government and military officials. You get, you know, the insane government scientist guy who's like, and we could just go into the other world and harness the power. And then you got the government agent like, God damn, we got to beat the Russians. Do, do whatever it takes. And then you just got like one pencil pusher there. It's just like, yeah, no, we're not doing this. Hey no, guys, you, uh... you, we have spent millions of dollars in order to kill our own citizens and accomplish nothing of value. We are not doing this again. <laughs> it's just like, oh, God. Well, what will we do with our 79 supporting characters now if we don't have, like, a third, like, secret espionage plot for them to follow along with? It's okay, you know, we'll just, you know, someone will randomly shoot them and then they'll die for no reason. It'll be okay. Uh-huh. Anyway, we should talk about manga, Chris, because we've got a lot to talk about this uh, week. We? Because we we well, we've got more series to talk about this week because uh, there was the you know extra magazine that ran. Uh, was it Jump Ultra? I think that we get these extra chapters from. So we got to talk about the shit that was in the in that. Uh, so what, let's let's talk about manga, why don't we? Let's do it, Nick. <laughs> okay, hang on a second. I'm just gonna check to make sure I didn't miss another chapter. Because right before this started, I was like, hang on a second. I don't think I read Samurai 8. Oh, I also managed to, to miss Boruto. Oh, they just posted Food Wars. So before they post another Nick. chapter, before they post another chapter, we're going to get through this. Let's begin with My Hero Academia. Well, um, that didn't take long. Uh, <laughs> okay, Nick, I haven't gotten past the first panel yet in my live read is this dog gonna be okay it's whipping, the dog's just but... the dog's just sad the tenko's sad that's all yeah, that's happening. it might just be cold honestly which you get in a warm blanket that dog's gonna be toasty and warm and uh the second uh panel um uh, oh no someone's uh, uh, spilled some paint on it uh, um i'm gonna skip oh, ahead oh, three oh, pages oh, Nick, and just assume that the dog's okay Goes sp- noticing that a lot of paint has been spilled on the dog, but uh, it's o- it's okay. Uh, he'll, he'll he'll figure out what to do about it. Um, okay, okay. There, there. Uh, yeah, the dog's covered in paint now, uh, and Tenko's really kind of upset about it. Okay. You think if the dog was still around and he loved it, he'd have it around with him everywhere. I wonder if it's a plot hole, or maybe it's like a secret thing. Maybe Mister Compresses that dog all along. I think it actually that might be a thing, like. <laughs> Cause one for all, you know, gave him like all the hands from everybody and stuff, and he's like, "Oh, it feels good to have them around me." Maybe he's like, "But now, if I give him the doggo paws, then he won't turn evil." <laughs> so I gotta not give them to him. Or it's like a moment of like humanity for one for all, where he's like, "Even I couldn't haunt that him with the memory of his dead dog." <laughs> Even evil has limits. So, Tenko's sister comes out to see him and she does apologize uh, to begin with for saying like, hi, yeah, I'm sorry that I blamed you for going into our dad's office, but I was the one who said it had to be secret. And then I kind of gave you up. So I'm sorry about that. Meanwhile, Teko is like, I covered my dog in paint. <laughs> um, so his sister sees that he's, you know, covered the dog in paint and immediately screams and turns to run away from him. And he uh, is, you can see his thoughts from his internal thoughts that he's freaking out. He reaches out and grabs her and she starts to disintegrate. Children can be killed. Dogs can't. Um, And she starts to, you know, 
have Shigaraki's quirk done to her. She starts to crumble apart in his hand. And um, yeah, basically Tenko sees his sister disintegrate by his own hand right in front of him. Again, the same thing didn't happen to the dog. It yeah, just got the covered. Do- in- the dog's fine, though, right? <laughs> If we, you know, ignore like the euphemism or anything, it's like it seems to react differently. But anyway, um, Shigaraki um, says via narration that at the time he actually thought that like some villain was attacking them. Uh, you know, that was the first thought that came to mind. But then he realized, uh, no, no, that was that was uh, probably not right. Um, he throws up at the sight of a human being disintegrating in front of him, as you do. Uh, his mother and grandparents come out to see him, to see what's going on. And he, when he places his hand to the ground, when he tries to pick himself up from, you know, having bucked over throwing up, uh, disintegration starts to go through the ground as well and travel up through their legs into their bodies. Shigaraki's narration says, thinking back, maybe I already understood what was really going on. And then he flashes back to the thing that he was talking about a couple of chapters ago, all of the times that people would comfort him. But he would be like, basically, he says, they were always making excuses for my father. They would just say, don't cry. That's all they ever had to say to me. As opposed to, you know, dealing with the abusive household that they lived in. And he built up resentment as a result of that. And so at the moment that Tenko is, you know, doing all of this, the main thought in his mind is still the thing that he was left with at the end of the last chapter, which is I hate everyone. And there is an important moment when this happens as he's, you know, killing his family, uh, disintegrating the backyard and them along with it, where his mother is like breaking apart and she actually rushes towards him and tries to embrace him and she like disintegrates around him. And I think that that's a a very important bit because it would be one thing if like, oh, he came from a completely abusive household. But it's like, well, no, there was I mean, these people did care for him. And that's important, I think, to show, you know, that there was, you know, still this chance that things could have worked out okay. Anyway, they're all dead. His father comes out to the backyard sees what's going on and Tenko is, you know, crying and covered in like dust and debris. Uh, and he says to his father that he's sorry. And uh, he starts to reach out towards him. And his father's reaction is to grab. I don't know what this is exactly like a gardening tool or something like that. And tries to beat him to death. with <laughs> He's like, stop this, Tenko. <laughs> stop it. <laughs> what the I, fuck, dude? Hey, you know what? He saw you. He's like, look, I watched her try to fix things. She tried hugging it out. Didn't work. I'm going to try, try another. I'm going to try another option. What if I hit him hard enough? He can't do it anymore. <laughs> so Tenko reaches out to his dad and Chigaraki admits that in that moment, Brimming with unmistakable bloodlust, I touched my father, and we see Tenko say, You die! <laughs> Fair enough, yeah. And Shigaraki admits, It filled me with pure, maddening ecstasy. And Tenko makes a Shigaraki face and a f- big full page spread. He looks pretty demented. Uh-huh. The house disintegrates, his father disintegrates, and 
we see Tenko looking very disturbed, covered in his father's blood. His hair is wild. He's got this weird, demented expression on his face. And Shigaraki says, somewhere deep in my heart, I must have been yearning for that all along. And just like that, the itch was gone. Well, this is quite a chapter. (laughs) So, yeah, we we have our our sort of explanation for why Shigaraki's the way is. And it it does make sense in the context where you're like, okay, it's sort of like this pure chaos that existed for a while where he, like, was comforting his dog and the dog got covered in paint. And uh, then his sister panicked, and he tried to grab onto her, and then kills her. Oh, started to shit. No, yeah, but now, no, you're dead. Dog's fine. You're dead. Right. Kills her, and then child murders. Yeah, and then it's just the sheer panic, essentially, of of going from like one to the next, of like, oh no, like I didn't mean to kill them, but there's a part of him that like has started to embrace it. Like it, it's it's mm-hmm. a nice way to like tell the story, um, and a lot of really good art in this chapter as well. So very mm-hmm. enjoyable. Why you Good do stuff. That goddamn dog. Come on, don't do this to me. Yeah, covered in paint. Come on, it's gonna. It's it's all it's all dirty now. <laughs> the dog better come back. Better get it funeral <laughs> arc. And better get better be given a bath. Yeah. <laughs> all that paint on it. All right. Literally just before we started recording, uh, Viz put up the newest chapter of Food Wars: Les Desserts. So. Let's go through that blind, why don't we? Now, I have read this already. You have read this. I I did, but I told the audience they would not alert you ahead of time so that if you could read it live, because everyone wants you to, Nick. There's a big thing that happens. There's a big thing that happens in this chapter that you're going to be like, what? I can guarantee it now. All right. Uh, So let's do this. Uh, Okay. I can't remember if I've ever done a blind read for... I know you've done it occasionally, but anyway... So we begin with Joitro talking with, uh, I believe that's Isako. It's a little weird to see her from the back and, and Arina. And uh, he's given the story of uh, how he met Soma's mother. I remember this. And uh, it's like he dropped out, uh, spent some time wandering, uh, came back to Japan randomly. And we get a flashback to young Joitro, uh, going to grab some food. Um, he starts t- talking to himself, uh, wants to avoid meeting anyone. Better make it somewhere that no one would know me. So he goes out and he uh, happens to uh, find the Yukihira family restaurant uh, that uh, Tobacco's uh, dad is in charge of right now. Uh, so it's chapter two, Le Passe. I don't know French. Again, for like the hundredth time while we've covered the series, I don't know French. So I'm sorry for my pronunciation of French cuisine terminology stuff. Uh, Joitro says that after he left Totsuki, couldn't find the will to do much of anything, lived off the money I'd won in contests from when I was still in school, wandered around, listened to music, staring at the sky, doing a lot of nothing. Ran across some people who asked me to cook for them. Eased myself back into the kitchen. There was still this cold knot. Don't remember why I'd ever bothered to cook. I felt I wanted to. Get, uh, gets to your favorite restaurant. Uh, Tobacco's dad greets him. Uh, looks around, orders a chef special, and people are like, whoa, no, he ordered a chef special because, oh, Tamaki's a bad cook. And she makes a chef special. Um, and uh, he is grossed out by it, of course. Um, and uh, they're like, oh, you don't know about, about her, about see her uh, slip-ups and, and how awful they are. And 
So they're like, oh, yeah, this Tamako. Yeah, she's mellowed out because she used to be a delinquent. OK, um, like, yeah, she's like, yes, I sure was a spitfire back then. Still think of this place as my turf, though. And she's starts to smoke. And her dad's like, don't smoke in the kitchen. It's a little bit of one piece piece reminder there. Mm-hmm. Anyway, uh, Joey Tro, you know, is like, oh, well, I've experimented with recipes, too. Sure. But are they sure they should continue to serve up bombs like that? But he looks around and sees everyone's really happy with Tamaki there. It's like, oh, OK. Seems to be a nice little establishment. And after that, I made a point of dropping in at Yukihira every time it came back to Japan. Uh, he kind of becomes a little bit of a regular there. Um, people are happy to see him because he apparently has done some cooking there. Tamaki's upset because he keeps on coming in and pressing people with his cooking. Um, uh, Tamaki says that she has officially accepted him as part of her gang. This is the kitchen is her territory, I guess. I keep saying Tamaki, it's Tamako. Anyway. Uh, they're cooking together in the kitchen later on. Joitra says it's not like you could cook anything good, even if you're let depend on it. So why do it? What's so fun about it? And Tamaka says, there's no one thing, really. I do what I want. That's all. I, that's all. Always have. Always will. Although, I do like seeing big smiles on our customers' faces. Can't that be enough? And Joitra says, when I saw that smile, I felt the cold knot in my gut loosen and something soft and warm spread through my body. It was eye-opening. Did he never, like, spend any time around a chef that liked what they did? Like, come on, dude. That or it might just be love that he's feeling. Maybe he needs He's got the hot score. It's okay. Anyway. Uh, they have a conversation outside. Well, bundled up from the cold. Tamako's like, oh, but even after all the stuff you've been through, you're still cooking. So that tells me it's something you can't live without. When you're cooking, you get this look on your face. It's a look I like seeing. Oh, and you aren't just a member of my gang anymore. I think I'll give you a little promotion up to, well, my special someone. Okay. How romantic. Anyway, they have Soma. Soma's got a huge fucking head as a baby. Jesus Christ. Um, Nick, you got to meet more babies. They're all fucking they giant got heads. I know. It's just so weird. This is a giant baby head. <laughs> anyway. Joitra says, I'd like it if you didn't tell someone about Totsuki or how I go overseas to cook. I want him to decide on his own what he wants to do without my life choices influencing him. So much for fucking that. <laughs> He's like, hey, can you ha- can you handle my problems for me later, Soma? <laughs> oh, God. Toitra uh, says, there's a lot about being a chef that isn't easier fun. Hilaire uh, sees Soma as, like, I don't know, a two-year-old with, like, an apron and, like, plastic knife and carrot. So I, got, I guess they got him baby chef toys. So, so much for not influencing him. Anyway, um... Soma, um, we get a little montage uh, of Soma like growing up, it looks like. So, for example, like Tamako getting her uh, haircut, wanting it to look like she did as a kid. Um, but I guess the stylist completely misunderstands and she instead gets a mom do. Um, it's funny that it's their way of saying like, oh, that's like her mom haircut. And I'm like, this is like a same haircut for different like teenagers in the series. Have. Now. Yeah. Anyway, they, 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 they're happy together. That's the point. Uh, Arena in the present says it sounds like she was a wonderful person. I have to wonder if maybe someday the Nakiri family can be as close and as trusting as the as the, as the Yukihiras. And she's like, personally, I'd like it if the day would come when father and I could be like that we were so long ago and Chen enjoy. Wait, what? 
When did that happen? <laughs> when father and I could be like we were so long ago and chat and enjoy meals together like family. When did this happen? <laughs> I'm not sure, Nick, but we're just on the precipice of things. So a zombie shows up and he's like, oh, you startled me. And Joitra's like, I think I'll let Azami tell the rest of the story. Please listen. Aaron, and Azami says, Aaron, this is a long story, but I want you to hear it. First, let me tell you about Asahi Saiba. Um, I guess that Hisako fucking leaves. Anyway, they're sitting there. And Azami's like, and once that story is finished, please allow me to say a proper goodbye to you. And Joitra is off to the side. He's like, funny how it all works out. Must be karma. No, fate. Meanwhile, in America, we- a young Asahi goes up to the grave. Bruce Springsteen's playing in the background, living in the USA. Rock and roll has never been better. So Asahi visits his mother's grave. It looks like she died in 2007. I think that's it. And he's like, the last time I was here was the funeral. Hey there. And uh, we see the bit of his mom freaking out on him that we saw in that flashback forever ago where she was like, I should have never given birth to you. Asahi says, not that I've got happy memories of you. Heck, standing here, I don't feel much of anything for you. Um, He remembers what Soma said about the dish that used to beat him. Brings back lots of memories of my mom. He thinks to himself, cooking that's all my my own, eh? I figured the first step would be to go back to my roots, which I've actually ignored until now. But in the end, it turned out that I don't have even have much in the way of roots to go back to. Um, there are a whole bunch of people who show up in suits. They see the flowers that I saw he left for his mom. And he's like, oh, people my mom used to know. And they're like, oh, man, I can't. I wish you'd gotten old with us. I always knew she was headed for an early grave. She was drunk and a oh, shameless gold digger, says a drunk guy. Um, and they're like, oh, you know, she was kind of a slut. <laughs> She could be awfully stubborn when she had a drink or two. I miss her, but I feel especially bad for her kid. I hope he's okay wherever he is. That's right. She wound up having a kid after that one-night stand, didn't she? She always bragged about how hot the guy was, this hot young Asian guy. And so he's like, a young Asian guy? Well, hang on a second. All right, so if you know what your mom was like, then... If you're like half Asian, then you would probably have to assume you got it from your dad. Anyway, so we see that Azami is talking to Aaron and says, oh, no. (laughs) Ew! So Azami's... (laughs) Mana was the first to notice. We see a flashback with him talking to and and she's like at Lady Mana's instruction we did a thorough check in Mr. Asahi's background the statements we acquired from our inquiries all match from a medical standpoint the blood types will make sense we're still waiting the results of the DNA testing however and Mana says the divine tongue does many things sometimes it gives me an impression of the personality even the mental state of the chef when I say that Asahi's basty Basti, whatever you fucking call that dish. Underneath this flavor, I saw an empty, passionless void. It was a familiar image. The results are clear. Asahi Saiba is definitely related to Surizami. They are father and son. So we see that after Asahi watched Joey Trophy swallowed by the storm and leaves Totsuki, he was a husk of his former self. 
couldn't bring myself to care much about much of anything, but I could get it up for promiscuous drunk women, apparently. And yeah, she met met this girl at a bar and they hooked up, I guess. <laughs> and he's like, no, I didn't see that mod. I hadn't met her yet. Yeah, it didn't but count. That doesn't erase the result of my carelessness rot. After everything I've done, I have no right to bear the Nakiri name. I thoughtlessly abandoned my child and his mother and then abused my other child for years, but we're, we, we already forgave me for that. <laughs> Thus, I am voluntarily leaving the Nakiri household. Knowing what I know now, I can't leave him alone. I may not be able to see you or your mother again for a very long time, but I'm glad that I at least had one last chance to watch you during the blue to see how much you've grown. And Aaron is like, Father, you are the worst. Okay, yes, that's where their conversation can end there. And the zombie's like, I can't refute that. I've been a terrible father, a terrible human. And she slaps him. Good so far. Okay. Now stop talking, Arena. So, <laughs> now, now cut scene to something else. He, she says, I'm sick to death of listening to you mope. Let's go. We're leaving. Mana's watching them and is like, well done, Arida. The Nakiri family no longer has any need to leave its chef languishing in solitude. Days later, later Asahi... What, seriously? God damn. So Asahi apparently found out the same thing, I guess? <laughs> <laughs> I had Yunosuke and Sarge look into it. Who's Yunosuke? One of those chefs that was fairly important. Anyway, he thinks to himself, not that knowing that does anything for me now. I mean, you could, you could say like, ew, I can't believe I nearly married my sister. But anyway, half-sister. I've already done all the damage I could, messing with the princess and turning the blue inside out. After all that, there's no way an outsider like me would ever find a place to belong. Nobody knows what it's like to be the bad man, to be the sad man behind blue eyes. Anyway, Erin shows up with like a bunch of secret service or something like that. And she's like, oh, it's you. And there he says, I'm aware this is terribly belated, but allow me to offer my sincere condolences on the death of your mother. Now that, do you have any plans for what you'll be doing from here on out? And so he's like, I don't know. And there he says, that's perfect. We were just searching for a chef of exceptional talent. Satisfying the bookmaster's exceedingly refined palate is no small feat. We can have no shortage of highly capable chefs on hand to accomplish this task. Besides, if everyone wasn't present for our cozy family meals, it would reflect poorly on the venerable Nakiri family's good name. And you are our family. Isn't that right, Elder Brother Asahi? That's actually kind of sweet. Mm-hmm. I hope they never bring up that it was like, you were trying to bang me for a while. That said, well, okay. <laughs> Nick, I know what you were thinking. You were like, man, Food Wars has ended, and that's fine. It feels like we wrap most things up. But who were raised true parents? And you finally got the answer. It was the Food Wars equivalent of uh, the Skywalkers. Not really the information I needed to gain, no. No. I, was anybody asking for this? Was anybody no. like, man, I wonder, I wonder who Asahi's <laughs> actual parent is. Like, oh, I thought when we retconned the fact that it wasn't actually Jirichiro, we were saying, hey, it doesn't actually matter. It was like a way to just be like, oh, he's not actually Soma's brother. Yeah. But apparently he was someone else's brother. Ooh. Uh, 
I mean, it's a minor point. I like how at the end she's like, we need you, Asahi. We have a very important task to you. He's like, what do you need me to do? I need you to cook meals for my increasingly stubborn mother until she finally just admits I mean, I'm not gonna food do could it. be delicious. I don't, I don't really know what she's waiting for. There's a lot of other, like, jobs that a chef of your caliber should be doing, but I guess appeasing this woman who, in this chapter, we also described that the divine tongue is kind of like a, a sixth sense for everything. It's like, well, yeah. Obviously. With my divine tongue, I sensed that he was <laughs> he was related to Asami somehow. <laughs> my tongue is better than a parental paternity test. <laughs> I mean... I guess if you're going to forgive Azami, you might as well forgive Asahi, too. So, consistency. <laughs> I thought this chapter was supposed to be about Soma's mom. What the fuck? <laughs> yeah, it's a really weird thing when you're, like, halfway through. You're like, wait, what's happening in this chapter? <laughs> Why is Asami here? Yeah, yeah you're really like, uh, Asami will tell you the rest of the story. Like, how? How does he know Soma's mom? You're like, oh, Sorry, I, sh- oh, I should have specified. What's going on? <laughs> I should have specified. I was done with that story. We're telling you a new one now. This one, I think you'll want to hear just as much. Nope. Really nope. didn't. <laughs> Go back to Soma's mom. She seems interesting. All right. <laughs> so that's are, over with. You are you excited, satisfied, everyone? <laughs> aren't you excited for the last Food Wars part, Nick? There's going to be one okay. more. Sure so. <laughs> Number 36, Surprise Attack. This is an oddly paced chapter, uh, I will say. Uh, I think it actually kind of like does take full advantage of the like length that uh, these, you know, monthly chapters get, though, in terms of just kind of like taking its time, laying out where everyone is and then at the end starting to bring them together. The main thing that happens in this is that Jigen, the guy that we met uh, kind of formally uh, last week, um, shows up because apparently he can just fucking teleport straight to Kawaki wherever he is using his karma. Uh, and various different characters around Konoha kind of like are harbingers, like sense him coming before he actually gets there. For example, both Kawaki and Boruto's karma start to react and spread before anything happens, despite the fact that they're not in a stressful situation and they're not near each other. Uh, like we see Kawaki talking a bit with Naruto because he's still looking for like the last piece of that fucking vase. <laughs> that vase is going to be one of the longest standing plot lines in all of the Naruto franchise. We're going like- to catch up point where boruto is in that uh one flashback where he's now like a missing nin and then it's gonna be like i would never have abandoned konoha if only fucking kawaki has actually fucking finished fixing that vase we're gonna find out one day that like sarada stole the last piece of the vase and she uses it to kill naruto like stabs him in the neck like fucking oh wow i didn't see this twist coming this fucking vase payoff is unreal we also see this is kind of an awkward moment. Um, we see Sakura heading to Ino's flower shop to get some flowers. And he like, oh, I guess that means that Sasuke is coming back to visit. And she's like, yeah. And Ino says, man, you know, I'd never be able to stand for a husband who's almost never home. But I guess I'm also a bit envious of you being able to stay forever a girl in love. So one, that's talking a lot of shit, throwing a lot of shade at your supposed best friend Two, are you? 
like not happy with the sigh now you know is is that what you're saying that okay all right anyway serata also shows up to establish that she is there she's come to actually follow up on something that we learned you know about or they were talking about with regards to karma and she wants to know if it's related to the mitotic regeneration jutsu and Sakura's like, oh, Asunade, I don't fucking know this stuff. What do I look like? A master ninja or something? No. Uh, also, Shikadai and Inuichi are playing that stupid trading card game, which apparently can be played as a game. It's not just you collect shit. It's, so good for them. It's a it's a trading card game, and also it has its own pauper format as uh, whatever uh, she not she know whatever the fucking shadow guy's kid's name is. Shikadai. Yeah. Shikadai, like at the end, is like, ha, nobody comes at my all commons deck. And I'm like, yeah, good for you for for being thrifty and still finding. I don't mean who knows. This is tabletop uh, ninja magic or whatever. So, I mean, who knows if it's competitive, but I do appreciate that there's a, a popper uh, possibility for it. Mm. So Jigen shows up and everyone's like, there is this mysterious chakra. I do like that they actually use Eno's whole like being part of the Yamanaka like security sensory thing. So she's like, "This there's a overwhelmingly strange chakra presence approaching," and so that's how they know that it's happened. Um, Jigen uses like chakra rod things to hold Naruto down and tries to grab Kawaki so that they can, he can berate him and they can talk for a while until Naruto gets free. But there is a moment where Naruto's like, oh my god, these rods are sucking my chakra out of me! And he's like shocked. And it's like, Naruto, you've been held down by those things before. Remember, you know, Pain showed up and like destroyed the entire village and killed your now wife in front of you and she had to be brought back? Like, what the fuck, dude? How do you not remember these things? Actually, you know, I didn't die. She almost died. Anyway, so that happens. And uh, Kawaki, like, gets berated by Jigen. And uh, he's like, oh, you know, the arm that the Hokage gave you, it could, might just be used, like, to track you the same way the karma was. How do you know that you can trust him at all? Kawaki's like, the Hokage is not like you. And his transformation thing spreads to his head and he like grows a horn and stuff and then naruto gets free and knocks him about and jigen's like i'll have to eliminate you uzumaki naruto and that's the end of the chapter i like the chapter um uh, as you said like uh this series has been really good at utilizing its chapter length particularly well i i honestly go out on a limb and say maybe it's one of the better paced series currently running especially that we get like a monthly format because it really does it like it feels long, but at the same time, it feels like the right amount of chapter length. If this were a normal chapter, like it's just the way it hits its beats are, is really kind of spot on. Um, yeah, there are definitely some questions currently running as to like, well, if you could teleport into Kawaki and grab him at any point, why did he wait till now? But I, I feel like there is a reason for that. At the very least, I'm going to listen to see if there is one before I start shitting all over it. I don't know. I I feel like I'm on an island with a lot of people where everyone's like, I fucking hate Boruto. Boruto sucks. The only good Boruto is the anime. And I'm like, oh, I kind of like the Boruto manga. It's kind of it's kind of digging with me for some reason. I'm all right. I'm OK with it for the most part. Um this chapter I did think was qu was quite well done. Um, I, it's 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 odd, really, because like I'm so used to manga having a much more like 
kind of disjointed pace and you actually see things kind of like gradually come together in this one. And it's something that you could really only accomplish you know, with this format. If this were a weekly series that had 20 pages to do this stuff, well, you'd have to be a lot more disjointed and, you know, rapidly cut between stuff and uh, have to have, you know, like a climactic beat in the middle of it as opposed to saving it for the end. So, mm-hmm. yeah, no, I, I just I, I kind of dug the chapter. Wasn't like anything earth shattering. Like it's certainly not going to be in my recommendation for like best series of the week, but I thought it was solid. <laughs> anyway, speaking of best series of the week, Chris, let's talk about, let's talk about Zero, Zero. Nick. chapter 54. The truth is in the cube. So, uh, Shiki showed up to rescue. What's her name? Uh, Bora. And happened very, very quickly. I don't know why. Maybe this is a minor thing, but this bugged me that Hamora's response to it is to just smile and say Shiki, which doesn't feel very Hamora-esque. Like, it feels like something that Rebecca would do, but I don't know. I don't know how it would be different for Hamora, but this just feels like generic girl response to Hero showing up, which kind of annoyed me. Uh, anyway, Mask Guy is like, I'm going to beat you up! And then Shiki beats him up because he has powers. Um, and they do reaffirm afterwards that yes, having your hands tied means you are powerless, uh, with your ether gear. So expect, um, expect a lot of bondage in this series. So, uh, you know, I know that's not normally in Hero's wheelhouse, but you know, maybe this is a trip outside of his comfort zone. Uh, as they're about to leave though, uh, we see Hamora's like, ah, oh, well, you know, there were some things I wanted to ask him, but I don't know. I, I, doubt, it. I doubt he knows anything about Valkyrie. I'm still conscious and I will talk to you about Valkyrie. <laughs> yeah, he sort of like cries himself out of the ceiling. I don't know if this is supposed to be like, oh, I think it's supposed to be that he's stronger than he seems because he isn't just fucking unconscious for being uppercut into the ceiling, basically. But he's like, oh, I know her very well. She was a fine woman. So who knows where they go with that. Uh, we cut back over to Rebecca, who's being led around by Nino. Uh, and she's like, thanks for giving me a shower to exchange. I explain, I guess, why her. her why she's not changed. covered in slime. Yeah. <laughs> so he's like, yeah, you know, over here, they call me. Kenzaiten Nino, the fist of heaven. And I work for Madame Curranai. And he's like, yeah, you know, she's been looking for the ship called Eden Zero, and she has all of her surveillance looking around for anyone who says the word Eden Zero, which you just did a couple, you know, just a little bit ago. So I was actually set to, like, capture you. But you were so good in your uh, whatever magical girl costume that, you know, anime will save the universe. Which, Nick, that's a great line. Anime will save the universe. Are you tired of it yet? Because don't you worry, he's going to say it six high goddamn more times this chapter. I'm not sick of it because the first time he says it in this chapter, there's a really nasty typo in the Crunchyroll uh, version. where So instead he says, anime will save the universe. True. So uh, I was like, oh, I missed the actual proper catchphrase now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so he's like, hey, I, I'm not turning against Madame Kuranai, but I'm deciding to help you. So... That's the situation you're sort of in. So he's like, all right, well, I don't, I don't really know what you're trying to do, but it's dangerous. So when you find your friends, take the route I showed you and just get off the planet, you know. Uh, and then there's a joke about how he should dress up like that one. Another cosplay character who looks exactly like a character for Fairy Tale, which 
She's it's, literally Angel from from Fairy Tale. It was like, like, oh, is that that character's name? I sat here for like five. Well, minutes, no, it was like, her title. Her real uh, name was like, I think it was Serrano. I think it was. I sat there for like five minutes. It's like, I can't. I know she's a character from Fairy Tale. I can't name you a single thing about her besides the fact I know she was a celestial spirit summoner because all of them looked the same and did nothing. I the only other thing I remember is that she showed up at the end and she was basically dressed like this. Like there was a big thing where they like approached her and she was like sitting in a throne wearing like lingerie, literal lingerie. And I think that we made a note of it when we covered it uh, because it was, you know, during the final run of the series, it was like, why the fuck is she just wearing underwear? <laughs> anyway, anyway, Nino heads anime out. Universe. He, he throws his anime will save the universe line, which at this point you have to be like, yeah, I can get it, dude. All right, I'll save the universe. Chill out, bro. Uh, she heads into the uh, labor district and one of those little robot birds sees her and starts like kind of like catches her attention. And she's like, oh, is it asking for us to follow it? Might be a trap, but let's go anyway so they follow it they find a guy who is uh sitting upside down in the meditation position not unlike onigiri from air gear nick and you know, also not unlike onigiri <laughs> so he says hey i'm in the middle of my meditation and rebecca sits down and what a normal meditate like the regular like lotus she, position. Does, the lotus. she does lotus position like honestly okay, those are props to you that you can fold your legs like that like on a just like, <laughs> yeah she just plops down does that uh, so he spins and he says, steal. And she spins around and she's, uh, she's like, well, what just happened? And then she's like, oh, my, my B cube, my B cube necklace is gone. And at first I was really happy because I was worried when this character first showed up and he was upside yeah. down. I was yeah. like, he's going to spin around and like her top's going to fall off or she's going to be upside down like he is and her skirt will fall down or something like that. And then when it's like, oh, he stole something from her. I was like. Uh, it's going to be something gross, like he stole her panties or some shit like that. But it's like, no, he stole her B-Cube. And I was like, that makes a lot of sense, actually. He's like, this is an electronic device. You could be tracked here by Madame Kerr and I. I'm taking this from you and I'm going to break it. Uh, but instead, no, he just took that to show he could. And then he steals her panties. <laughs> uh, and there's like a page and a half of her being like, give me back my underwear. And he's like, No. And that's basically where the conversation ends. He explains himself afterwards, but there is no indication that he's ever going to give back her underwear. That's a trophy for him now, as he describes it. I guess, yes. It's a spoil of war, as he describes it. Uh, his name is Paul, and he is Lady Valkyrie's disciple. And he's like, ah, yeah, you, you know, you, you, I've, I've heard about Hamor and all of you. And he pulls out a B-cube of his own that has the pot leaf on it for some yeah. reason. I'm not really sure if that's intentional. This looks more like the the leaves that are on Hamora's outfit, so I think it's more closely attached to some Japanese leaf, potentially, but it looks like the pot leaf. And he's just like, 420 blaze it, babe, the truth's out there. Uh, he gives it the cube, and he's like, everything is in here. The truth is in here. Why Lady Hamora, uh, Lady Valkyrie left more, why she came to this planet, and why she's never coming back. Oh, no, she's never coming back, Chris. She definitely can't leave this planet. That's Yeah, there's okay. definitely not, like, a problem that will be solved in the next ten chapters. They'll let her go with them. Maybe there's, like, maybe there's, like, a thing, like a tether. She's, like, actually tethered to this planet or something like that. Or maybe she's like, no... I will never leave until the systemic oppression of the labor district 
by the the rich bourgeoisie is dealt with and truly dismantling that kind of empire takes decades if not centuries to truly try to you know undo the deep-seated kind of problems that create this uh, social uh, uh. divide <laughs> and then she punches it in the face and is like it's my friend now <laughs> he, punches, he punches social inequality in the face and he's like you're my friend now and then they get on the ship together and fly away eating that zero everybody so let's recap uh, a certain thing here as we do a Wikimaga recap so in the past now three chapters We've introduced a point where, oh no, Humura and Shiki have been separated from uh, Rebecca and the rest. That part of the plot is still intact. But the entire thing where Humura and Shiki were disabled by Whip Guy and then Humura was kidnapped and then taken away from him to be his sexual plaything was immediately undone and proved worthless. It wasn't even like the like the very next chapter after that happened, Shiki just showed up. And the very next chapter after that happened, she could just beat the guy in one punch. What the fuck? Why didn't they just punch him there and interrogate him there? There was no point to them stretching this out. I guess the girl couldn't think of a way to, like, stretch this plot out while he's focusing on the stuff with Rebecca. So he just said, well, they'll go over there first, I guess. So... The first thing is that then we wouldn't be able to find out Hero has invented a way to make sure his characters end up in bondage a lot. Uh, but the second thing, though, I, I maybe this is optimistic of me, and maybe I shouldn't it be. It is. But I think the mask guy is not done yet. I, I feel like if he was just supposed to be a goober who was beaten already, he wouldn't have that kind of look on his face. And I don't know why I keep getting like a Geo vibes from this character. I, I'm probably overseeing it, and she's just gonna punch him again. And he's like, oh, "I'll tell you everything." And I'm like, "Then I'm really confused as to why this didn't happen at once." But maybe he's you're like be... Nick. Listen, we never learn is the best transition. <laughs> <laughs> like Nick, hold on. Eden Zero has some of the best written antagonists in all of fucking manga of all time. There's. There's Dragon Joe, I guess. He's okay. <laughs> he seems okay. <laughs> I don't even remember what the dude was who had Pino. I don't know. Slappy Joe. He seemed pretty <laughs> shitty. <laughs> All right. Let's talk about Samurai 8. Chapter 11. How dare you? How dare you? So. How dare me? How dare you? Yes. Oh. So, Ada, I think is his name. Aha, aha, ha, 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 ha. Yes, Atta, Atta, yeah. So, Atta the Peerless. He's showed up, uh, and he's uh, clashed with Dharma at the end of last chapter, demanding to see Hachikaku, and then Hachimaru's father showed up to defend him. Uh, And we actually see that Dharma got pretty fucked up uh, by the clash that, uh, that they were engaged in. Like, his body is kind of blown open at the torso and it is exposed to that weird endoskeleton that samurai have his head is kind of it looks like it's been scarred and it's trying to to reform and uh, Atta says Hachikaku is a samurai now and Princess Niri sensed his gravity it took effort and Hachimaru's father is like oh no what I feared has come to pass if they catch Hachimaru the entire galaxy will be lost I suppose it's time to use this 
Dharma recognizes Atta as Atta the Peerless, a former Kanguyasha disciple, the man who was once my top pupil. Atta now recognizes Dharma. He didn't before because, you know, he's a cat dude now. And he's like, you have changed so much, I did not think it was you. Uh, Dharma also realizes, oh, hey, you know, Atta and the boy's father seem to know each other. So, hmm, something's going on there. Uh, This little black flame thing pops uh, in front of Dharma and Atta's like, ah, so you had it, master. And Dharma's like, I can't move. The thing that happened in the last chapter has briefly paralyzed me. Good to know. Uh, Atta's like, I'll take that. <laughs> He's like, Thank you. Thank you. And then he says, I apologize for the matter with Princess Baku. All of this is for the sake of our plan. I sympathize with your pain, but please understand my side of things. And Dharma gets a really pissed off expression on his face. But Atta, like, gets down on the ground and, like, bows to him while he says this. It seems as though he's being sincere in his apology as opposed to like, I'm sorry that that had to happen, you know? So. Achimaru's like, hey, master, he's like, you know, your pupil and he's bound to you, so that means he's not a bad guy or anything, right? Right? And Atta's like, how dare you speak to your teacher that way? And Achimaru's like, ah, sorry! So, Atta looks at him and is like, wait a minute. The pigment of your hair is gone, but you look exactly like the seven. I see. You must be Hachikaku. I will take you with me now. My katana has serrated edges, apparently. Uh, and Hachimaru's like, but my name is Hachimaru. That doesn't sound anything like Hachikaku. God, was my dad, like, really uninventive when he named me? <laughs> it's like if you, you go, you're, I know, I'm on the run. So instead of calling my son by his real name, George, I'll call him Georgie. I'll never know the difference. Jorge. That's what she called him. Ah, sh- but it's still spelled it's like G E O. Exactly <laughs> the same, yeah. <laughs> so Atta is like, you're the key to the plan. And Hachimaru, apropos of nothing, is like, my dream is to be like Fudomyo, the shooting star, the legendary warrior god. You can't just take me away. Okay. And Atta's like, a god? What the fuck are you on about, kids? <laughs> he just says, like, you're incredibly presumptuous to think that you're you know worthy of be talking that way he says i've heard weaklings speak of dreams so many times by now that i have grown weary of it you utter a god's name drunk on your own lofty visions and act as though you are anything but a weakling for what purpose and hachimaru flashes back to you know the times that he's you know been like i'm gonna be king of the pirates basically while uh, you know basking in his new powers and stuff uh, and also brag, lying and bragging to on that he's always been a prodigy. And Atta says, there is no heroism with you, within you. You howl and yap like a beaten dog. But as he approaches Hachimaru, uh, An and his father and, uh, God, God, I always forget his, his dog's name because it's, everyone has an H name in this goddamn series and I get them all mixed up. Anyway, they all jump in front of him to defend him. Uh, and again, Hachimaru has like another flash of guilt over the big lie that he told on in the, a couple chapters ago, Frickin' <laughs> Hagamichi. <laughs> the 
other samurai comes flying in. He's got armor on. He's like, oh, get him, guys! And he immediately gets his ass kicked. I wasn't I was like, sure who that was at first. I was like, is that an attack? Is that a is that a person? Is that a like is that a mech that's falling down or something like that? Is this Ronin warriors? Is this a suit of armor and someone's gonna merge into it at some point? And I was like, no, wait, it's just that goober dude who's there. So, what what Ada does is he holds out the orb that he took away from Dharma, and a bunch of katana just like appear out of the air and pierce through his uh, limbs and pin him to the ground. And Ada says, "A samurai is not immortal. For one thing, a samurai dies once already through ritual. Once forsaken by the warrior god, he is finished." Uh, the warrior god is fickle, especially when it comes to the lives of mutts. And Hachimaru looks very, very upset. Uh, his glasses pop down over his eyes for the first time in a while. Uh, and his dad steps in front of him again and says, I will keep your lives safe. I will defeat Atta. He's like, if Hachimaru takes a single blow from him, you will certainly be forsaken by the warrior god. Is that like this this series version of sent to the next dimension? Like instead of dying, you are forsaken by the warrior god. You're sent to the shadow realm. Or is it like, I don't know. <laughs> We're getting like the four kids dub version of the series. Already, yeah, to start off with. Yeah. <laughs> I don't kill people. I disgrace them in front of the warrior god. Mm-hmm. Do you think they bought it? So Ada thinks he's bluffing. Uh, he goes into attack and everyone thinks that, you know, Hachimaru's dad's going to die. But oh, shit, because his dad opens his chest up and he says, this is no bluff. And this like vortex appears in his stomach. Uh, the same thing that we saw him kind of uh, taking a look at in the previous chapter. And he says, this is a device for eliminating a samurai soul, specifically yours, because I knew that this day would eventually arrive. And he basically like starts absorbing him, seemingly, uh, and not to recognize it as the weapon we were once attempting to develop that he'd completed all on his own. Uh, And Ata thinks to himself, then his life, too, is at risk. Uh, So. It looks as though Hajimaru's father is planning to sacrifice himself in order to save his son. Uh, but there's a huge blast of light. Uh, his father's chest uh, now doesn't seem to have anything in it anymore. Or at least the hatch is moved up. I don't know. Anyway, Ata is still there. Kind of. He's got one arm left. Uh, and he doesn't seem to have any legs. So he's just really pissed off now. And that's where the chapter ends. Uh, I will say I did actually quite like this chapter. So, uh, I mean, there's a lot going on it. Hashimaro finally had a little bit of fucking reality injected into his goddamn brain. And uh, it seems like there's actually a lot of stuff that we're finally getting some uh, pieces moving in terms of what kind of uh, opposing force there will be to uh, deal with in the future. Yeah, I I think there's a lot of pieces I can enjoy about this. Um, It feels a little bit sort of uh, I don't know if it'd be better or worse if it just succeeded his dad died but Atta still lived like it seems like his dad's fine right now like I mean it doesn't seem as though he suffered any ill effect beyond oh I'm on my ass now yeah like oh I'm kind of (laughs) tired kind of sleepy hang on a second I need to take a nap (laughs) but this has been one of the better chapters of uh, um, Samurai 8 so far 
Let's move on to the last Sayuki, chapter 20, The Stone of Truth. It's uh, exposition time. Um, Estelle is, of course, there for the conversation that uh, Ryunosuke is going to have with Kay. And uh, so Estelle's like, oh, so this is Kay, the demon lord of chaos. <laughs> so Ryunosuke actually apologizes for not telling her about, you know, this whole important thing before. And Estelle's like, hey, it's, it's OK. And, you know, I found out about this without Koharu really wanting me to. So sorry about that. But, hey, you know, it's still Koharu. You know, I, I believe that. Kay confesses that she didn't want any outsiders to come here, but that's OK. Because Estelle was able to enter this place, that means that Koharu trusts her. So because this is a space that Kohara created subconsciously. Here you can find out about things Kohara has forgotten and even things that happened before her birth. Just as Ryunosuke thought, Kohara decided to learn the truth and came here all by herself. But even though she may not be conscious of it, she's also wondering if she can handle it. The truth you will learn here is a heavy burden for one person to carry, even for Koharu, even for you, Ryunosuke. For your father to send you here, he must have been quite determined. So we cut to uh, where Rinosuke's father is, along with uh, Faruka. They finally said his name, so I can finally say it after about five weeks of just being like, ah, bi-paired guy, anyway. So his father says, "It's Gohaku says, it's fine, they'll come back. And Faruka's like, hey, what do you know? What's your objective? What do you want Rinosuke to do? And we cut back to inside of the pocket dimension. And now there's a Kappa sitting next to Kay. And she's like, long ago in a marsh on the outskirts of a village, a child drowned. After that, village children would go there as a test of courage. And many would be swallowed by the marsh following that. And Rinosuke's like, what? So the Kappa drowned them? And Kay says, no, the children were fucking stupid <laughs> and died because they were fucking stupid. But the villagers didn't think so. They were scared by the mystery surrounding the numerous children's deaths, and they wanted a reason they could accept, and they decided that the cause of it was this kappa, and they killed it. Now look out that window. So look at that. It's a big old fucking monster with multiple heads and googly eyes on every single head. That's the amount of Nororochi. That is the monsterization of the fear of the yearly flooding of the He River. By amassing a lot of people's fears into one point, humans can even monsterize a natural disaster. Now, after the Kappa was killed, the marsh became a barren land. When you kill Yamato and Orochi, the topography changed, the flooding was no more. This power that humans have to materialize monsters is a power that can convert things that are troublesome for humans into a monster that can then be defeated. Gohaku is giving the same explanation to Furuka at the same time, and he says the followers of chaos that create these monsters aren't enemies of humanity. They aren't evil. And Furuka's like, you know, I did think it was kind of weird when I fought one the other day because he seemed, like, happy that I killed that Karori. And he seemed closer to the human form than me. And he didn't kill me. It seemed like he was actually trying to advise me. That was kind of weird. Didn't really think of it at the time, apparently. But there's also the issue of, oh, yeah, they kill a lot of humans with the monsters that they conjured. Most of the monsters that they materialized were defeated by the Monster Defense Alliance. So Furuka's like, well, if what you're saying is true, why have you been hiding this? And why did Master Dotsu call them the enemy and make us fight them? Furuka says the story of Sayuki that is generally known. Most of the enemies Sanzo and his group face are heavenly king beings. That's because God wanted Sanzo and his group to suffer. The purpose of the journey was actually training to gain enlightenment. That is the reason Master Dotsu had for creating the followers of chaos. They are all much closer to becoming the true human form than we are. And by causing humans to suffer... 
they basically train humans. Basically, all of these monsters are being summoned. It's in order to actually improve humanity because there is a monster that could come that could destroy the planet. This seems like a great idea. I do. I do like that the series, like the world it's created is that like, look, we worry about so much shit that eventually we create our own solution. We could punch to solve the problems and end it. It's very much like uh, like a D&D campaign where it's like, I don't know, guys, how are we going to solve this problem? I was like, well, what if we fight it? <laughs> what if we could physically fight against it and then overturn it that way? And you're like, well, shit, yeah, I guess you can. And Kay is explaining to Estelle and uh, Ryanosuke that, you know, there have been two completions of the story thus far in history and there is a third one coming and there is a different been a different monster each time the third monster is going to be different and she actually introduces them to the first incarnation of k hanuman the natural disaster she and her group defeated indra's lightning and indra's lightning show shows up next to k and she's just like hey guys <laughs> i nearly destroyed the world once <laughs> Uh, but she says, you know, the second story was Sayuki. The natural disaster we defeated was the Heavenly Flame. The third one, the one you will go up against, the last monster of the Tales of Momo, is the fierce winds of hell. It can disintegrate all of Earth in an instant. A wind disaster. So Estelle and Ryunosuke are across like, oh, what do we do then? Kay explains you were born because we were able to defeat our monsters. Though if the followers of Chaos hadn't made humans stronger, we probably wouldn't have stood a chance. And uh, Gohaku says to Fukuda at the same time, I'm telling you this because it's going to be necessary to fight in cooperation with the followers of Chaos from now on. And they're like, yeah, we're going to have to deal with some really powerful monsters, like from, you know, the last 10% of the, of the last Sayuki. And, uh, Fukuda's like, ah, oh, I see. The planet is on the brink of death. And Rinosuke says, yes, the true human who must overcome this trial is the planet itself. Anyway, who cares? <laughs> anyway, you're special. <laughs> um, Case says that we were all born in a, in a hell of an era. No matter how so hellish it seems, though, there is a fragile spider thread that has been prepared when the natural disaster is about to hit. The earth will want the humans to save it and will create a, a stone, a perfect sphere, the stone of truth. It looks like that one thing from fucking what's that one goddamn series called? Gantz. Yes, that one. It looks like a Gantz sphere, doesn't it? Big black sphere that's got guns in it, probably. Anyway. <laughs> and it speaks in Internet leak speak. And uh, yeah, that's how people. That's how you save the earth. You pull guns out of this sphere and shoot stuff while it rapes you. On, you and yeah. You put on your skin tight, skin tight black uh, body suit. Yeah. And uh, you make sure it doesn't slime because if it slimes then you're dead. Yeah. You get your arms cut off and shit. Mm -hmm. Anyway. So Ryunosuke asks, wait a minute. So this means the Koharo is and K says, yes, she is not human. We who are born from the stone of truth have two things we must do. First, open all of humanity's mo, transform the natural disaster into the final monster. And the second is to find a powerful male Nyoibo user, Sai. Together with him, we need to defeat the final monster. And Rinosuke says, well, then why did my dad introduce me to Koharu? And Kei says, because, says, uh, 
well, rather, Kohaka says, it was selfishness. Master Dotsu had already prepared Sai, but unlike the one and only K, any male can become Sai, as long as she he is chosen by K. So, <laughs> Fukuda's like, well, how'd you manage to do that? How did you slip past his watchful eye, his crown googly eye? How did you get past that? Gohaka says, I didn't slip past. She turned a blind eye from me to me because of Momo. And K, K says, Ryunosuke, there is a special procedure to hatch K from the egg. In the 7th century, during the Tang Dynasty, during the days of Sayuki, there was a human called Tekanshi and a human named Toshishun. Tekanshi made Toshishun go through intense hardships. The inner strength gained through tolerating those hardships was used to incubate the egg. And in this era, the one who was anointed as Toshishun was your mother. The one who created Koharu was your mother. I mean, that that makes sense, I guess, from the, you know, foreshadowing that we've gotten you know, in the last couple of chapters, I guess. It's a it's a shame because like this is more than any other chat we've gotten to this point. Very much like, yeah, we're skipping like 90 percent of the story in order to just yeah, get to this, this shit. <laughs> anyway, we've killed like three monsters by this point. Time to skip to monster number 100 out of 100. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of shit that they have to drop right here. And man, I don't I, Somewhere out there, I want someone to make a, uh, a a battle manga series where the main character doesn't have like parents who are super involved with their life, but it doesn't have to be that they end up being the most significant. Because family. they were, <laughs> <laughs> they don't have to be the significant people in this this series entire lore. What's I guess the only manga, let's see, what what were some battle manga where like the parents weren't just like, you know, super important in that way? Cuz like Uh, I'm trying to think off the top of my head. There's Black Clover currently, but who knows what the hell the whole thing with like, you know, cuz Asta was an orphan, so and he's got the whole demon thing inside of him, so one of his parents could be the root of that. Um, Basically, so people are like My Hero Academia, and I'm like, well, so we don't know that don't yet know because that where's, where's Deku's dad? <laughs> but if he doesn't, then that would be the example. But that would like, be yes. so like, but like people are bringing up World Trigger. World Trigger is like the same thing. It's like we don't we don't see oh. Osamu's dad at all, and. Even then, it's still not the case because Yuma's dad is the most special, awesome person that we know right, of like, right. the history. Yuma's of actually the main character, guys. So, Remember that. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Like Every every series tends to. Now, One Piece 100% did it when they revealed that Luffy is the son of Dragon and then Ace is the son of Blackbeard. Or not Black, um, Gold Rogers. <laughs> it's, like, Blackbeard. it's like, Blackbeard's a lot older than he looks, come to think. <laughs> also, he killed his kid. That's kind of harsh. Oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> Anyway, yeah, um, I'm sure it'll happen at some point, and it, it has happened before. But anyway, oh yeah, I, I'm just saying. In the series we were, yeah, we've been reading recently, particularly this week, it was a lot of like, hold on, don't worry, this character's missing parentage is actually super important. It's like, mm-hmm. I mean, at this point, I'm just going to assume it is. Yeah. It's, a, it's a trope. Yes. 
It was one of the refreshing things about Star Wars, and then everyone had to be upset about it for some reason. Anyway, Scott, talk about my, We Never Learn. Oh, we're not talking about Beast Children at all? <laughs> um, they, so there's a tournament thing that's going to happen. It's a special tournament that they weren't thinking of taking part in, but uh, Sakuraba wants to take part in it. So they're like, okay, but you have to go and gather up the team members. He's like, okay. And that was it. Well, I think the thing is, is that specifically it's a different number of players than normally. Like rugby is usually 11 on 11 or something like 15. It's going to be 7-7 seven, seven instead. Yeah. So none of it's the players. Sakura, whatever his fucking name is. I've forgotten currently. Sakuraba yeah. or some bullshit. No, that's actually, that's actually a really good character from a uh, <laughs> series like this. Uh, he's going to go find players, I guess, because no one else in the team is going to actually do it with him. Sakurabo, you lost uh, you lost like three feet of height and also your endearing character qualities. What happened? <laughs> All right, let's talk about We Never Learned. Question 128, year end. Uh, a genius leaves a clean trail when a pizza bet. Doesn't always work, but sometimes it does. Uh, so we start with the principal telling everybody that, hey, winter vacation starting uh, and he's just a really big bore, I guess. Cause he blah, 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 he's blah, 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 Frederick Nietzsche once said, blah, 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 yeah, blah, No, he blah. doesn't even say that. You know, this reminds me of an animal I saw when I was a baby. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and uh, all the characters are like, all the girls, rather, are really excited. Because it's like, sweet, it's winter vacation. And I love how Ewing is immediately wet blanket. He's like, ha, ha, ha. But we have exams, so no vacation for us. Exams are right around the corner. And all the girls like, what the fuck is wrong? Come on, come on. He's like, you just canceled Christmas, you asshole. (laughs) We did Christmas already. Like, well, spiritually. Uh, He's like, oh, hey, look, you guys did okay on your finals, but or on your terms, uh, this finals this term, but you got to be ready. So how about we do one last final library study session of the year? And Aruka's like, oh, um, I'll show up a little bit later there's, there's something i have to do so they're like, all right and then she she heads over and we see ruka is uh going to the swimming pool and she says this is the last time we're going to meet this year and for the past three years you've done so much for me so it's kind of a shame i'll never get to swim here again mm-hmm. and she's like looking around the pool and she's like ah, i think uh professional cleaners will be coming later and she's like I should probably help them. I mean, since I'm already here, I should probably clean up a little bit. And like, as it goes, like it just like reaches the point. She's like, Oh, she takes off her winter coat. And then she like takes off like her like jacket. And then eventually she just puts on a full fucking track suit. And she's in a full on cleaning blitz. <laughs> and you shows up. I was like, what are you doing? You said you'd be gone like a couple minutes. She's like, yeah, you've been gone been- an hour. She's like, It's only been like five minutes. Like it's been an hour. <laughs> Because we can see that, like, there is an entire, like, 10 foot long section of the wall that is sparkling clean behind her. How fast do you think you can clean? (laughs) In five minutes, you'd be lucky to get, like, a five by five space that clean. (laughs) He's like, all right, well, fine. If you're going to do this, then I'll come in and help you. And there's a a, a joke that because he's starting to like take his jacket off that she's like, oh, it's gonna end up in sexy time. It's happening. But he's like, I mean, no, it's just gonna be easier if I help. So let's get this done and get back to our shit. Uh, it is worth noting that you like Aruka's mind is like already like in teehee cute moments, like there are like their wrists actually bump into each other. She's like, oh, you're so clumsy, teehee. His is like. 
well, we need to get these proper cleaning materials so that we can properly clean off the algae and the bacteria. Basically, it was Dr. Up. Stone on this. Like, we can clean this better if we use these two cleaning products. <laughs> <laughs> this causes a chemical reaction that causes dirt to go bye-bye. And she's like sweeping with the brush. She's like, oh, no, if you press too hard, you know, the ends actually get kind of, uh, you, you know, wear out. So it actually, if you use less pressure, it works better. And she like, he's holding on to the handle. And she's like, wait. This feels like our first conjugal project together. And I love how she hears wedding bells in this moment. Yeah. It's like, here's how you use a broom. <laughs> uh, she trips and falls. There's a weird joke where her butt falls in water. So she takes her pants off and it's like, what are you doing? But she's like, I'm wearing my swimsuit. Well, see, Chris, you see, Chris, her, her pants got wet, which is why they're adhering to the individual cheeks of her butt. That would never happen normally with the very realistic clothing that is portrayed and we never learn. Absolutely. So, so it's, it's one time we never learned you in one point on the board of like, it kind of made sense. Ding. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so they get that joke all out. Then she realizes she's been stepping on the hose. So the water's been building up. So she takes her foot off of it and the hose starts whipping around they both like jump. That's what else to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they go wild like in a cartoon. Uh, and then like they're both tangled up. They're like, "Oh, sorry. I, I mean, no, I I was the one." <laughs> in this, this moment where they're together, Aruka starts being like, "So after exams," and she's probably about to tell him about how she's going to be, you know, leaving and everything like that, and try to maybe confess some feelings or something along those lines. Uh, when all the other swim team members come in and they're like, it's happening. <laughs> they're all I'm like going to ruin the moment. They're all really happy. Like they're like, oh, should we come back later? Um, Let you guys tie yourselves up with that hose some more. And uh, let you guys fall in a few more pools of water and just let you guys push that broom around. If you know what I'm saying. <laughs> and Ruka's like, hey, what are you guys doing here? And they're like, why You've been we should for a long ass time. They're like, we should ask you the same. Why didn't you tell us? Why didn't you invite us to help clean up the pool? And it's a very nice sentiment that all the SWIFT team members do. Was this like a planned thing though? Because they already have like buckets and shit. Like, well, Ruka said there were supposed to be professional cleaners coming, so clearly yeah. this wasn't a, yeah. a planned activity. Just every SWIFT team member knew they were like, well, it's the last day we're going to be able to. I guess today is the day we'll clean the pool. And the coach is like, we spent so much money. <laughs> Hiring professional cleaners to clean this fucking pool. We don't want your fucking shitty teenage aesthetics going in on this, all right? Like, guys, no, we'll get in trouble. Child labor laws. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we're not even being paid for this. Shut up! (laughs) No teachers popped in to be like, hey, what are you guys doing cleaning this pool for an hour? Isn't someone coming in to clean it professionally later on? Like, come on, man. This is our way of saying goodbye and paying the pool back. Like, that's very adorable, but seriously, we spent money on this. I mean, you're just wasting water at this point. They're going to have to use water to clean it anyway. Uh, so all the other girls start helping. They also all take off their pants because they're all wearing swimsuits. And Yuei is kind of nervous because he's like, this is, you know, I know it's not the same thing, but it feels like you're the same amount of skins being exposed so well i totally i totally get his point because like you know it's a bunch of girls in wet in wet t-shirts dancing around and one of them the first time we see any of the others cleaning there is a shot of one of them spraying another with water and they're dancing around so it's like yeah i get i get your point you get it's a little bit weird <laughs> like <laughs> 
<laughs> you're the one guy in this room. All these half naked women are dancing around. Yeah, tee hee. You know, so and he's like, yeah, you know, I kind of feel a little self conscious. I don't really know like where to look. So Aruka's like, well, in that case, don't look anywhere else. Just focus on me. And I love that both characters are so fucking dim-witted that they don't <laughs> understand the weight of what was just said. She said it completely 100% earnestly, and it was just like, yeah. ha ha ha, silly wiggy, you'd be lost without me. And all the other girls like, Jesus Christ! She just literally told him, don't look at any other girls, only look at me. Like, what the fuck? <laughs> They're like, wow, that's super fucking balls, you really put yourself out there. She's like, what, what are you talking about? <laughs> Uh, and then we end the chapter with them returning to their study session, but Uega is very tired because his body's weak, which yes. is weird because it seems like he'd actually have worked up a lot. First and foremost, we know he's jacked, but second yeah. of all, you think he'd specifically have a stamina for cleaning considering how often he does it. Just go. He has been preparing for this for literally the entire rest of the school year, going over to Garisu's place and cleaning her fucking shit up. <laughs> Uh, so that's we never learned this week it was uh short it was it was cute yeah, it was okay had, had, it, had its one it's like one moment basically it was a very cute moment dr stones equals 114 silently science pierces the stone before we get, get into this before we get stoned, however, I should make a note that there was a special that uh, was uh, put up uh, this week. Uh, Boichi, the artist of Dr. Stone, uh, basically did a fan recreation of a chapter of One Piece. I think it was actually multiple chapters because I don't think all of the stuff that happened in it happened just one chapter. But it's uh, the moment where, you know, Zoro has the big confrontation with Mihawk and they have their duel and Zoro is defeated, but he remains resolved that he's going to keep on uh, fighting. And it's, you know, all the same dialogue and everything, but uh, Boichi drew it and put his own little spin on it. It was an interesting thing. Yeah, it's, it was it's cool. extremely cool. Uh, his art is really interesting to see with everything, like everything else Oda had, it, particularly the action scenes. You're like, wow, I kind of wish... Boichi was drawing Oda's action scenes, honestly, because it's a lot clearer to see what's happening. But it it did also remind me of like, fuck, I forgot how good One Piece was back in yeah. the day. How fucking just spot on with everything it was. Yeah. It's not like One Piece is like bad now, but holy shit, it was really, really good. <laughs> yeah, like you remind yourself how good it was early on. Mm-hmm. Anyway. Kohaku uh, has, you know, discovered the platinum, the well, not the platinums specifically, but she discovered the Soyuz capsule and uh, was able to communicate this to Senku and the others. And she knows, of course, the platinum is inside there and she'll be able to they'll be able to revive it for one using it. So uh, she sneaks in again to take a look at it at night and kind of, you know, uh, starts, you know, like patting at it and a bunch of it like crumbles away. Because even if the capsule was, you know, built to last, it wasn't built to last over 3,000 years. So it just kind of crumbles away. But when it does, there's a bunch of concrete inside of it, a bunch of rock. And uh, this gets communicated back to them. And uh, Senku's like, actually, this is, this doesn't get communicated back, back to them. Senku just kind of like knows that it would be poured and filled up with concrete because if you were going to preserve stuff cheaply concrete would basically be the way to go um 
and Kaku does remember like, oh yeah, the freaking glass record was preserved the same way. So I guess we did figure that it would be like this. And she's like, although with the record before, I was able to just, you know, break it apart. Uh, but if I were to do that now, and she's just like a visual for her, like, yay! And smashing it. It's like, oh shit, no, I'll get chased down and stopped before I can finish. Even with her absurd brute strength, she won't have enough time. So she's like, damn, it's like right in front of me, but I can't reach it right now. Fortunately, Senku and Gan and Soyuz realize this at the same time. Like, well, we've got to figure out a way that we can actually, you know, break this open. And Senku's like, hmm, if only we had something like a silent bomb. And Gan's like, yes, if only we had the sort of magical doomsday device of delusional middle schooler might think up. <laughs> and Senku's like, well, no, silent bombs actually exist. <laughs> Fuck, man. You keep doing this to me. I love Gen. <laughs> um, but Senka says, like, well, it's, I mean, you know, Silent Bomb might have been, like, a brand name. It's, I mean, not really a bomb. You take this, you know, emerald green fluid and you mix it with this white powder and just, and here, pl- pl- plaster. Got plaster. There you go. Um. And he communicates to Kohaku uh, the next day using her earpiece. Hey, you've got a mission to crack open this treasure chest and snag the planet lumbering inside. Sends out a bunch more of the little rovers uh, so that uh, Kohaku can grab them. Um, Amaryllis dances in order to distract all the guards again because they're horny bastards uh, so that Kohaku can gather some stuff up. And (laughs) they like... (laughs) They're like, oh my god, she's so beautiful and lovely. And then they look over at Ginner and they're like, on their head, I'm not sure about this girl. And one of the other guards is like, shake those hips. Come on, work it, goddammit. Twerk that ass. <laughs> He's like doing the robot or something. <laughs> Kohaku has chemicals. And uh, Senku is able to communicate to her like, okay, here's what you got to do. You've got to drill a bunch of small holes. This is where, you know, your savage strength is going to be able to come in, lioness. And of course, she says, stop calling me that. Damn it. He can't hear me. Fuck. Uh, But she realizes, all right, I'm going to have to do this as quickly as I can. But I am going to make some noise as I do this. So I'm just going to have to do it. And of course, she starts drilling and people are like, What's that weird scraping noise coming from the tree? And Amaryllis is like, oh no, what do I do? But holy shit, here comes Ginro to the rescue. He's grabbed one of the guard's spears and is just going, ah, scraping it along the floor. And they're like, what are you doing with this? And Ginro's like, oh, it's a spear dance. That's totally a thing I did just make up. Amaryllis is like, oh no, well, Okay, Ginro, good job, but there's no way you can actually pull off the spear dance, however. And immediately Ginro just goes, oh, and starts twirling it around. And they're like, holy shit, she's amazing. <laughs> and so Amaryllis is like, wow, it's a, that's a, incredible. Where did you learn to wield a spear like that? And Ginro's like, well, you know, I'm a guard back in the village. And I learned some useless spear tricks in case I ever needed to turn tail without fighting. And I've spent hours of practice doing these moves. Someone's just like, what a terrible explanation for your moment of triumph. You could have just stopped at, oh, well, I'm just a guard in my village. And that would have been sufficient. You felt the need to continue on to being like, 
I memorized these moves just in case I needed to make someone think I was intimidating before I turned tail and just retreated. I fucking love Genrove. <laughs> we get an explanation from Senku of how this is supposed to work while Kohaku is doing it. And basically, um, each of the holes needs to have some chemicals put into it. Uh, some of it is the emerald green fluid, which is from, uh, you know, the Sulfurina Lake. The white powder is anhydrous calcium sulfate. And so she mixes those together and she's like, all right, do that. And uh, OK, I'll push down with this. And we see that the chemical compound kind of like breaks apart from the pressure of the chemicals uh, mixing together. Um and it forms plaster and the plaster expands into the concrete and breaks it open from the inside. And uh, that happens over time as the plaster forms and expands, creating a silent bomb. And Kohaku goes back later that night and she looks and sees the concrete shell kind of like opening up through it. And we get this kind of message from uh, Byakuya from the past saying, you know, there's no telling what you'll need in the future, but we're stuffing some rare rocks and metals in this treasure chest, gold, diamonds, and platinum. And someday you're going to revive the whole world in a snap, just like that. And Sega's like, well, nothing happens in a snap, you big dummy. It takes slow to patience and hard work, but you're right. I will someday. Silently, our science will pierce the stone. And the concrete breaks open in front of her. So it seems as though they're going to get their uh, rare metals. It's, I, I don't know how best to describe it. it it's not even like this is uh, that particular of a chapter, but it, it, the way the ending is portrayed is a very beautiful thing. I don't know how else to really describe it. But it's a very sweet sentiment, and the art's always just so on point with how it like captures this feeling and touches to like the human side of Senku, where even he's like... Yeah, you know, I know my dad's talking about it's a snap, but, you know, it takes time. But you're right, I'm going to do this. Like, it's just, it's a very powerful sentiment, and it's it's a nice sort of, like, overall feeling. Like, it's just one of the mm. really solid Dr. Stone chapters. Yeah. I've been watching the Dr. Stone anime um, as it's aired, and one of the things that I'm glad to see is that, you know, the visuals are very strong still, because, like, if... If, you know, there wasn't like a very good, you know, budget or, you know, just not very good production or something behind the visuals, then like this series like just cannot work. Like it's it's, you know, got very strong storytelling in it, but the visuals really, really add an important element to it. So, you know, I, I can't wait for like, you know, the part where, you know, like Suika gets her eyesight back, yeah. uh, for example, something like that. And there are tons of those moments throughout Dr. Stone, just like this really big, beautiful, important moment uh, that you need a strong visual for. Yeah. Nah, I really, really dig it. Good chapter. Seven right. Deadly Sins. Let's talk Seven Deadly Sins. Chapter 320, Brothers of Despair, which is different than Brothers of Destruction, which is Kane and Undertaker's tag team, which uh, was, despite seeming like they should have always won every match, they, they very rarely ever did. Um, they kicked uh, ass whenever they fought a WCW team, but yeah. yeah. Well, I, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, fuck, X-Pac powered up when he fought a WCW guy. <laughs> Hold on, it's time for our guys to look good. Um, so Zeldris, uh, isn't inside. It turns out, uh, he's, he's gone now completely. He's gone forever. Nick, 
No, he's not. It's <laughs> powered up. Yep, he's gone for good. He's uh, well, the demon lord said it, so why would he lie, Nick? But Meliod is like, no, he's not. <laughs> <laughs> well, I disagree, Nick. I guess we're on opposite sides of this conflict as well. I, I see. Feel- I feel pretty confident about where I'm standing right now. Yeah. I haven't read the end of this chapter, but I, <laughs> I bet the Demon Lord's going to be in control listen, for a long listen, time. Listen, Nick, if there's one thing that I've learned from reading manga, it's that once you've read something on page one, it cannot say something different on page 15. Like, that's just not how manga works with, like, you know, the story lying to you and then revealing its lie to you much later on. Nick, if there's one thing I've learned from reading anime and manga and playing video games, it's that when uh, a villain has taken over uh, a friend of the hero's body and they try to wake them up, they'll never do it. It'll never succeed. That character is always lost to time and always dies. So, I mean, it's just it's how this happens. As someone who's played Kingdom Hearts and is, <laughs> it was a major plot point that an evil villain took over like six different characters' bodies and lost them all by the end of it. I feel very confident in saying Zeldris is gone for good and never coming back. What a different series the Kingdom Hearts would be if like someone got possessed and Sora just like stuck the keyblade through their chest and ripped out their eyes. I mean, we couldn't have saved them, so it was better to kill them. <laughs> <laughs> Gooby's like, Jesus Sora, Sora, you're you're a sadistic monster. Ooh. Oh well, look. Heal. Yeah, thunder or whatever. No, no, use your heel, goddammit. I'm glad you're on my team, Donald. You Go, guys, don't you think we should be trying to say the fire? I'm like, I should have known that the character in this trio that was at one time even if it was the dream sequence a Nazi would have been the one to stay on my side of these dark gods a character uh, with recurring rage issues is totally on board with your plan to just slaughter everyone <laughs> I hated the beast like, oh, that's Donald for you. <laughs> Uh, so no, the Demon Lord is taunting about how Zeldris is definitely gone and Malay's is like, nope, he's definitely not but he's like, well even if he was, you should have killed me before this, because now they're on much more even turns. Now, it's not a complete, like, well, now he's just stronger than Melodius, and he's going to come about. Melodius is still... But look at the beard I have now! <laughs> he does look a lot cooler. He does... He, he's got, like, little little baby wings. I don't know how else to describe it. Or they're just really long shoulder pads, I guess. Awkward 20-year-old Zeldris looked really weird, but, like, more proper Demon Lord transformed Zeldris looks a lot more imposing. So. Again, I don't know if those are... I guess those are shoulder pads. They're really weird shoulder pads. Because you're like... I feel like a lot of things are going to get stuck in those. Then you're going to walk through a door and you're like, God damn, these things are so long. Why do I... Why do they jet out this much? <laughs> just, I, like, I know how we can defeat them. <laughs> and he just goes down a narrow hallway. Oh, damn you, damn you, Elias. I'm going to turn sideways to follow after you. Ah, <laughs> oh, jeez. Uh, Melodius loses his shirt at one point, And uh, all the women swoon. Woo! Take and, all off. <laughs> and Nick. Oh, yeah. All the women and Nick. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and uh, then... Basically, he's like, hey, I promised Zell that I was going to reunite him with Zell, with Gelda. So, you know, even though even Elizabeth's like, hey, kind of step back, maybe like reassess how you're doing things. He's like, no, because if I don't save him, who will? I'm not going to abandon him a third time. He does this big thousand god cut attack 
And Demon Lord's fine. He even seemed to absorb some of the magic. He's like, well, you know what? This is actually pretty good for me because you were the one who I once thought would be worthy of my vessel. And you're going to make an interesting subject to test my fool power on. And uh, she's like, whoa, wow, this, this magic that absorbs everything outside of the slash itself. Is that the magic of the rule? And then there's like thunder in the distance. He's like, what the fuck? Something's happening. Ow! And he really as uh, the anime trope, like a bunch of shooting stars come in, they all land in the water because this fight was taking place over a lake. And the seven deadly sins have arrived on the back of Endula, who they have already slain. And, oh, and now, uh, now it's the water's falling down on them. So, Chris, the only thing hard, the Melio is not wearing a shirt, is Melio is not wearing a shirt dripping wet with water. There you go. Yeah, it's like that Spider Man scene. Ladies. <laughs> Uh, so they're all there. It's worth knowing, I guess we don't see Escanor quite yet. Dudes. I'm sure that uh, I'm sure that he saw some to some dudes too. So we haven't seen Escanor quite yet, but Melodius or all the other ones are there. And Bond says, "Hey, you know, seven deadly sins of seven rule, and the seventh one is sometimes we have to all work together. So the seven deadly sins are going to do this fight together. It's kind of nice. God, Bond's torso is long. It's very long." Like there's a, I mean, he's like shredded, and then there's just like a belly button for like a foot. Like <laughs> some people, some some people probably like that though. Some people I'm sure. are like, I wish it were longer, and, <laughs> just, I wish, and I wish it were pregnant and Sonic the Hedgehog. <laughs> I, I mean, that's, like, you know you're what? Not, you're not wrong. I can't argue with that. <laughs> <laughs> really, you can you can kinkify anything if you say I wish it was pregnant. And Sonic <laughs> pregnant the Hedgehog. Sonic the Hedgehog. <laughs> He's like, I don't know, uh, the Shred of Turin. It would be really hot if we were pregnant inside the Hedgehog. Fuck, man, you're not wrong. <laughs> All right. Let's talk about the Promised Neverland. It's chapter 143, Eliminate. Uh, cool color page, as all of uh, Promised Neverland's color pages are. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, uh, it's uh, Emma like looking down at her own reflection. Anyway. She's there meeting with Bleh, and uh, they're making the deal. Bleh asks for a reward in return, and he says, the reward that I want is your... Anyway. Pregnant Sonic fetch. <laughs> Sonic Hedgehog fan art. <laughs> I want you to be pregnant inside the Hedgehog, and it was like, uh, what? <laughs> Come again? <laughs> I know what this fucking Sonic the Hedgehog is. Uh, so we don't see what he asked for, but Emma is shocked when he asked for it and then goes, what? So clearly she was not expecting whatever the hell he asked from her. Um, but we have no idea what it is. So like I said last time, they could reveal it this week. But they could also reveal it at the very end of the series. Yeah, it could be any time. It'd be great if he's like, I want your feet picks. Like, what? Feet picks? Um, like, ill. Like takes- <laughs> it's like, I guess there isn't anything explicitly sexual. But it's just really weird. This is really weird. Super great ancient demon. <laughs> he's like, look, don't talk. All right. Just give me the feet picks. We <laughs> don't even have cameras. Do I have to like draw them for you or something? Do you- <laughs> 
It's like, no, there's cameras. Ray had a camera. Oh, they do. There you go. That's the answer, guys. You're going to put that on my stat sheet when it, it comes up like, wait, what did it even ask for Emma? I'm going to say feet picks. You see, we've I've been pronouncing his name wrong the whole time. His the that weird swirly thing that Emma and Ray have been saying. It, it's actually pronounced Dan Schneider. And uh, there you go. Or Ooh. Quentin Tarantino. Or Quentin Tarantino. Or Rex or, Ryan. Or, <laughs> or Joss Whedon. It's look. There's a lot of people who are known foot fetishists out there. Okay. So anyway. Uh, several days have now passed since Don and Gilda had the conversation with, uh, oh gosh, uh, yeah, I, uh, her name is very odd and I can't remember it. Anyway, they had the conversation Aisha? with her. Is, is, Aisha. Yeah. It's like Aisha. something very similar to Ash. That's yeah. I remember. Uh, so they had that conversation and, uh, they're like, oh, and there were those footprints also that we found. So I think they're close to them. Uh, and they actually have imparted this information to, uh, Hayato. Because now they think that because Asia is not going to betray them, that he certainly won't. <laughs> Stupid kids. So they're like, hey, they've got to be nearby. They're, you know, and we're getting close to them. Um, but they also haven't told Hayato about how Aisha's, um, you know, like can speak the human language uh, because, you know, they're her enemy. So they haven't betrayed that. Uh uh, trust to her uh, but also she hasn't spoken to them uh, since that conversation that they had in the intervening three days um, Hayato points out some footprints that uh, to Donna Gilda and they're like eh, it's not it's not them though uh, they haven't found any trace of Sanju Mujiga since uh, that conversation three days ago uh, one of Asia's wolves finds more tracks and uh, they're like oh yeah they're like partially erased tracks here so, but the you know, size and the shape and the stride length, it's got to be them. So that's Mujica's footprints. And so they've got to be really close to here. They're like, yeah, they were either left here just this morning or last night. So they go in the direction the tracks are leading to. And Hayato goes, Ooh. <laughs> it's like, what the fuck's wrong with you, dudes? He's like, I can't let them know I'm going to betray them. She has like a real like evil moment. It's like, all right, my man, you we get it. You're the bad guy. <laughs> but uh, yeah, we see that uh, he had a conversation with uh, with Vincent and uh, is like, yeah, we look, you can't like leave your group to alert us. So they gave him this little tracking beacon thing. Uh, you you know, and they're like, look, you can't like signal us with smoke or or anything like that because we don't want you your presence to be detected. So just use this transmitter and push the button uh, to let us know where you are. And when you get close to the evil blooded, push the button in set intervals to let Jin know where you are. Guide them to the evil blooded without having the others notice or find out, and then they can quietly go around and surround the evil blood demons. And that's it. And he was like, yeah, this is it. The strength of Lambda will will lay. The evil blooded to rest. There is no flaw in boss's plan. I'm doing good. Don Gilda, Asia, and her dogs haven't noticed. I'm sorry I've deceived you, but this is for us farm children and for all of our futures. It's an order. We have to kill the evil blooded. And we cut to where Sanju Mujigar. They are. Uh, she's feeding their um, mount thing some water. Uh, and she's like, hey, Sanju, you want to take a break? And he's like, no, I'm fine. 
hey, who's hiding over there? He immediately spots uh, Don Gilda when they are, are nearby, but they come out with open arms and greet them. Mujica embraces them and they're like, oh, we've missed you so much. She is like, oh, you guys have gotten so big, that kind of thing. And behind them, Hayato taps the transmitter three times because that's the signal to, uh, you know, when you see them, you know, signal is that way. Aishi cries out a warning uh, at that moment in demonic language, but it's too late. They're already surrounded. Uh, Hayato takes her at knife point uh, in order to uh, keep hold her captive. And Jin shows up as well. He's got a gun. He's got the big uh, experimented on kids with him. And he's like, sorry, guys, but we've got to kill the evil blood demons. And fucking Sanju just teleports behind him. <laughs> he's like, oh, what's that? <laughs> Who's getting rid of whom? <laughs> I do like. So I think we when we first had Sanju and Musico showed up, we both made a remark of like, Wow, Sanju looks super fucking cool. Yeah. And it's been so long since he showed up. You know, so you kind of forget. But fuck, does he look so goddamn awesome when he sneaks up behind the other guy and he's just like, oh, who's going to kill who, buddy? <laughs> he has you? Like, the knife up to his throat. I'm like, fuck. I know it's probably bad to everything if this ends in a total blood blast, but fuck, I want to see Sanju just go <laughs> off right now. <laughs> You've done it now. You've gone and made a big mistake. <laughs> and I can't allow. <laughs> anyway. Good times. So that's the Bronze Neverland. Um, yeah, it's pretty. I mean, we've got the little bit of a tease at the very beginning, which I was pretty. I was half expecting to happen. Uh, and the rest of it is just set up to the whole, well, the fight's going to happen now. And it's a really kick-ass way to start things off because, like you said, it's been so long since we've seen Sanju that, yeah, it's it's like some kind of a, oh, right, he's an insane badass. It's just that it's been so long since we've seen him that you kind of forget that. So, Yeah, no, it's supremely awesome. Yeah. Black right. Clover. Let's talk Black Clover page. Is it on the next one? There, 213, the Great Soul Tree. So all the heroes were like, let's get out of here. And that's what they do. That's the chapter, everybody. Goodbye. Let's talk about One Piece. Nick? There's a lot of like, there's just like a lot of banter throughout it. Mm -hmm. Also, I think that Mimosa's top is still severed because she seems to be covering her boobs in one shot. Uh, It's Fauna, isn't it? Or the woman who took over. Yeah, of course. Right. I can't remember which one that is. Right. She got stuff blown up. Yeah. There are actually some things to talk about. Uh, Some important things that happen. So there are are some very significant things. The biggest thing being that they get out and are like, hey, we've escaped. But all the elves are still kind of running this crazy rampage and everything. So Patrick's like, all right, well, William's still inside of me. And with his world tree magic will gather the life force of everybody here and kind of connect everybody together. And then you referring to Asa, you attack me, kill me. And with your magic negation sword, all of the elves will be like kind of freed from their bodies. So that's that's fortunately, Asta, you have a solve everything sword. So we are going to use it to solve everything. <laughs> uh, so that's what happens. We see that like Patry like shatters away and all that's left behind is William Vengeance, who's like, 
Oh man, you've you've. I you've, feel really bad right now. You've been with me <laughs> since I was a child, and all your anger and griefs come to an end. And uh, you know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna help make sure it all works out. Mm. So all the souls start leaving, and uh, specifically though, the three like lieutenants or whatever they don't like yeah. Rhea. Uh, Veldro, whatever, Beast Dude, and uh, Titty Girl. Well, it's not Fauna, because Fauna's the actual name of the girl who got taken over. I forget who the actual elf is. Gotcha. Titty Girl. Yeah, Titty Girl. Uh, So all of them are like, I don't know, by some weird loophole, we stay, I think. So... They actually... We reincarnated twice. Our souls are fixed tight to these bodies. And our original bodies don't have souls anyway. So I'm like, I sure, I guess? I don't know. I'm not, like, super excited at the prospect of them hanging. I guess it's because they're not in bodies that have another soul on them right now or anything like that. I think that's it, yeah. But it's still, like... I sweet. I guess we could see Rhea show up in the future. You know, in case we ever need somebody who can use every type of magic at some point. Her name is yeah. also Fauna. I fucking hate this goddamn manga. <laughs> <laughs> that was the last straw. <laughs> I fucking hate this stupid ass series. Like all the other shit in the past. Like, listen, I can under- I can take Asta having a sword that does everything. Four times over. I can understand his rival having no character other than no, I'm gonna be the Wizard King. Two characters of the same name. <laughs> Fuck this series. Fauna possessing Fauna. That seems a little coincidental, don't you think? <laughs> Cinema Sin sound effect goes off. Dang. This has ruined the, the franchise forever. <laughs> it was perfect before the original author got his hands on it. <laughs> Uh, so Lumiere is like, yeah, you know, it's, it's nice that we get to see all the possibilities and everything kind of says goodbye to leash. And, uh, as leash is sort of fading away, you know, says like, Hey, so the one who's inside of me is like, yep, it was kind of like fighting alongside my son all along. And thank you. Fourth leaf youth of the present. May good fortune be yours. I'm like, what a touching sentiment. You guys shared two lines. There really should have been more of a moment there. I felt like, but so was the, <laughs> was it, <laughs> it, it was the soul of his child right still like an infant so he, he got right. that moment where he's like i got to share this 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 moment with my child even though it was through you i felt him and i i can understand that you know by the way has no reaction to this he's, he's like, just going it's like he basically looked for an explanation he's like hey so the one that was inside of me and he's like yes that was my son and he's like Mm-hmm. Thank you. You have you will do great things. I wish you luck. Thank you for this moment of sharing a time with my son. Cut to Asta. <laughs> He's just like, listen, you know has a set number of programmed responses, and it's see when someone speaks to him, he runs an if then, and if not Asta, he just kind of <laughs> stares blankly. And if if Asta, then no, I'm going to be the Wizard King. <laughs> if Asta, then I'll be the Wizard King. If no, stasis. <laughs> Fuck, man, you solved it. 
<laughs> uh, yeah, the chapter ends. Leashed and the elves disappear away. He is like final words, like, "Hey, the Grimoire belongs to you now. So do good, mages of the current Clover Kingdom." That's it, Nick. That's the end. Yeah. Eh. All right, <laughs> Nick. How is this? Done with the arc now. I was gonna so. say, Nick. How is this two and a half year saga slash arc slash whatever we call it uh, for you? Waste of potential, I think. Um, like there was, there were like some parts along the way that we liked, mm-hmm. obviously. Uh, certain minor characters getting a spotlight and getting a moment to show that they had grown. Uh, some satisfying, you know, little character moments here and there. Um, but I think that just in general, like, I think Black Clover has the issue of there are too many powerful, good characters. Uh, it runs into the issue of, well, all of them have to have a chance to look good. And I know that like with, uh, a, you know, some series have the opposite problem. Like I talk about, you know, Food Wars all the time. It's like, when the, why the hell didn't Megami get to do something? Why didn't, you know, all these characters in the Polaris dorms get to do something? Why bother introducing them if you're not going to do anything with them? There's a sweet spot somewhere in the middle where, you know, you don't have to have someone do something all the fucking time. And you don't have to, you know, uh, just like focus entirely on the main character and it sometimes feels like Black Clover does the worst of both, like spreading itself too thin with so many characters and then defaulting back to. But Asta and Yuna are really, really, really strong. Um, I really thought that the solution to this was going to be, well, this, a bunch of the strong good guy characters are evil now and are going to fight against them. And it didn't really turn out that way. No. So, um I think that uh, if we if you go back to when we were talking about this, when like the possession was starting, I was like, oh, maybe this could work out. And I don't really think that it did. There were some fun moments along the way. I'm not going to say that there weren't. But I think that you will also see if you go back through that this entire arc that you and you listen to our reactions, then the majority of the time is going to be either, you know, yeah, OK, or I didn't really like this. So, yeah, I think it's just. There were parts where it could have been really good, and I think it helps that this ended on probably some of the stronger notes it had throughout, but I, I think there's really just fundamental problems of Black Cover that no matter how kind of exciting the arc's going to be, when those moments crop up, they're always just going to drag it down. I mean, we talked about how it's like, wow, we saw Lumiere and Sekre's backstory, you really kind of like, I wish they were the main characters instead, is, you know that was more interesting and you come back you're like fuck i hate asta now, that being said there's one thing i can say about black clover is it's consistent with how it portrays its characters so if i mean obviously i think asta is a pretty popular character in his own franchise at least so i don't think that that's ever going to go away um i think that there as we get more into this like devil thing there might be some more explored about him but I don't think he's going to really change at his core as a character very much. And that's just going to come down to a matter of like, either you like him or you don't. We don't really like him. Um, We're kind of stuck with him, though. Uh, So and I think I mean, look, Black Clover is not a bad series because it is consistently it consistently does the same thing. And that appeals to people. But it's clearly not the kind of series that we really enjoy reading. Um, there are series that are very similar to it, but that do things a slightly different way that appeal to us more. Yeah. And that's basically it. So, 
All right. Let's talk about One Piece. Uh, so it's uh, chapter 949. Mummy. Is there a mummy in this? Oh, I guess the mummy yeah, curse. The mummy, mummy plague is what they're talking about. Right, right. I forgot, I forgot the actual detail was going on. Anyway, Luffy now has to basically fight against the um, prisoners uh, as well as the guards because they're being turned against them. He's really pissed off at the guards because they're being used to, uh, you know, against them this way. And he's like, hey, you know, they barely had any food to eat. You know, you're, why are you doing this to them? But of course, you know, even though none of the actual people on Luffy's side are being hurt, they're just, you know, shooting their plague bullets at uh, the prisoners and using them as like this human wave uh, to send after them. Um, and Chopper, of course, really pissed off over this, too, because they're using viruses as a weapon. Uh, we get to see uh, little moments of each of the fighters doing something cool. You know, even Hyogoro is uh, is getting to slash his sword and stuff. Um, but we also see uh, Otama and uh, the uh, Kawamatsu and Raizo doing stuff. Uh, and uh, he all, Raizo also, you know, just like takes all of the sea stone cuff keys and just like chucks them at kid is like, here use that to free you and your friends because so i think that you're you're luffy's friend right free yourself and the kid's just like yeah. anyway plague bullets getting shot to the prisoners more and more uh and we get this very sadistic explanation from the scorpion guy of oh by the way the play that we're actually using it uh starts with the heat spreading from the bullet wound Leads to burning pain all over the body. Blood everywhere. The victim is left wrecked with agony, writhing, crawling for help until they spread the misery to others. Look, that's the final fate of those who contract. He points over to just these people covered in these awful, like, rashes and their skin is all shriveled up. He says they might as well be dried, rotted plants. This is one of Master Queen's greatest masterpieces, and the plague's name is Mummy. Now move it, all of you. You are human weapons that can defeat our enemies just by touching them. Um, so interesting that it's Queen's an inventor, apparently. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, we saw him kind of tinkering before, so it makes sense. But it also plays into this whole thing that Kaido's kind of got, like, a science division underneath him, sort of, mm -hmm. between this and, and um, what's his name? Um I wanted to call him Mads Mikkelsen. That's the actor. What the fuck? Caesar Clown. That's it. How could you forget about me? <laughs> I'm like, well, you know, it's been a bit. I've also been uh, drinking, you know. No. We, get, we get this cool shot of like all of the mummy prisoners going towards Luffy and everyone and uh, his allies. They stand in a circle against them. It's a cool little shot. Um, One of them... uh cries out to Luffy saying just leave if you guys hadn't shown up then this never would have happened even if you are the red scabbard Akazaya samurai who supposedly died 20 years ago you still can't win not against that enormous flying dragon not against Kaido no one can stand to the might of the animal kingdom pirates just look just one weapon created by one of his followers wreaks this much devastation. Witness our futility against its power. If you outsiders hadn't come along, even life at Udon would have been normal. We wouldn't have suffered like this. And Luffy goes up to the guy who's talking and just grabs him by the jaw. And immediately, you know, uh, they're like, hey, if you grab him, then this, the play is going to spread to you. And he, he, it sure enough does. 
Uh, but Luffy throws his arms out, stretches them, and just kind of throws himself into the group of approaching prisoners. And he says to all of them to stop. And they're like, what the hell is he doing? But he's just deliberately throwing himself at these infected people. And he says, you call this devastation. You call this overwhelming power. This stuff has no effect on me. The samurai I know are all strong and hardy, but you guys are broken all the way on the inside. What do you mean normal life? Obeying every order they give you, living off of dumplings? Is that normal? Open your eyes. You're nothing but slaves. And he throws them all to the ground. He's like, oh, okay. Easy there. Um, so everyone is kind of shocked by what he's doing, and they just kind of like stand and watch him as he can, as he, as he launches into a speech, basically. And he says, so what if I came from another place? Why can't an outsider help protect your country? I made a promise with a friend named Tama who fed me back in Curry. I promise to make this a place where you can eat your fill again. And Otama has a little flashback, remembering that moment that we had, like, what, a year or something ago? Anyway, Luffy says, if we can't make that happen, then this will always be hell. I already heard about Odin. He was a great man, but the day Kaido killed him 20 years ago was the day this country stopped working, right? We came here to fight Kaido and win. There's no reason for the people on our own side to stop us. So make up your minds right now. Are you with us or are you with Kaido? And the prisoners are like, are you? Seriously? Are you, like, trying to, like, give us another chance after what we've just did? And Hyogro's like, oh, shit. He's, he's like, got them. <laughs> like, so, <laughs> uh, oh, God, what's his name? Old Maid, I think, is his name? The Warden? He's like, all right, well, uh, they're, they're all just going to, like, stand there, you know, looking dumb. Okay, I'll just shoot this. The ensuing panic will turn the tables yet again. And so he calls out his elephant trunk head and is going to use it as a fucking gun. And he's like, the flag shot. <laughs> and so he's getting ready to shoot it. And they look over at him uh, at Babanuki and they're like, oh, no, he's going to shoot the thing. And he's like, too late. <laughs> and Luffy has gone over to him and has tied the elephant's trunk in a knot. <laughs> And Luffy's like, yeah, I saw a pretty bad future just now, so uh, stop it. <laughs> and the elephant explodes. He just turns and he's just like, cool guys, don't look at elephants exploding. In the <laughs> Somebody turned his back to him. <laughs> so the warren falls over and they're like, oh, shit. And Luffy turns to all the prisoners and says, you get the rest. And they turn on the scorpion guy and they're like, hey. And they start cracking their knuckles like, no, 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 listen, uh, anyone who defies a jailer in their first defense. Can... Yeah, we don't care. We're rebelling. <laughs> and uh, painful shots occur. And we get this narration that says that eight days to the great battle without the main army knowing Udon is pacified. So cool Luffy chapter. Uh, we, we talked about earlier how like the Boichi chapter reminded us how good of One Piece like was. This is another chapter that reminds us how good One Piece is, where you're like, it's a great Luffy character moment where it's him saying, like, basically showing off why he's such a great protagonist, yeah. where he's going to, like, stand up to them, but in the end, he's trying to, like, bring out the best in them as well and giving them a second opportunity and completely turns the tide of battle without actually having to, like, punch anybody or anything like that. He just uses yeah. his words. Uh, it's a super cool moment. 
You know, I always, it's like those moments of like, ah, I'm the character that's going to walk a little bit further down on this sword so that I can like extend the hand of gratitude or something towards you like that, that I'm going to take more damage to, to do this. It's always like kind of the cool noble thing characters do, but it's just such a cool character moment for Luffy and like a great chapter in general. Yeah. This is one of the chapters that lets you know, like, this is why, you know, people gravitate towards him. This is how he ended up with this fleet of ships under him that he didn't want. Uh, is that when he is at his best, he has an incredibly magnetic personality that can really, you know, touch people's hearts and, like you said, bring out the best in them. Mm. And, uh, yeah, this is a great chapter. Um, so, yeah, that's it. I dug it. All right. Let's name our favorites of the week, I think. Uh, my favorite fa- series and name VP. My favorite chapter of the week is going to be One Piece, although there was a lot of really close contention this week. There was uh, Promised Neverland was really good, mm-hmm. and uh, Dr. Stone, I thought, was, was really excellent as well. Uh, but I'm going to give it to One Piece, and then my character of the week has to be Luffy. It's it's such a great character moment for him. Yeah, definitely got to be Luffy this week. Uh, no, no question. Um, there were a lot of really good chapters this week. I don't think that there was a single bad chapter, honestly. Uh-huh. Um, uh, I'm going to go with Dr. Stone. Um, but the, the, I mean, like you cannot go wrong with the stuff that, that came out this week, basically. So yeah, the, the audience agrees on Luffy. Uh, but the, the chapter of the week they gave was to my hero. Hmm. All right. Well, that is going to do it, everyone. And there thank was you. more, I should note, there were at least more than one vote for Mon the dog. <laughs> the dog that Tenko killed. I didn't say killed, I said Tenko covered in paint. <laughs> for a moment, I was terrified. I was like, that dog's dead? No! No, Chris, he's covered in paint. Oh, okay. Listen. Well, someone's got to clean that dog. Look, listen, All for One showed up, and he was really mean. He's like, I'm just going to leave this dog here covered in paint. But then, see, uh, All Might showed up, and it was like, oh, no, this dog has been covered in paint. I'll clean him up and then give him to a family that loves him and uh, never talk about it again. <laughs> oh, I'm really happy about this. I'm like, oh, I'm like, oh, it's so bad. And also, uh, he uh, went to live with uh, Onoki, who had his peanuts. <laughs> oh, that's great. That's great. <laughs> All right. <laughs> he, he went to go live on a farm where there was lots of room to run around. <laughs> and uh, with old guys who all got their peanuts. Oh, man, I'm happy now. This is really light to my day. Thank you, everyone, for joining us for Weekly Manga Recap. You can join us for live recordings of the show here on smashcast.tv slash twitch.tv slash We record the show Wednesdays around 7.30 to 8 p.m. Eastern time. But sometimes we need to change things up so to stay updated on when and where we're going to be recording. You can follow us on Twitter. The official podcast account is at WMR Podcast. Your hosts are at Nick F. Time at RolloT. And you can check out all of our past episodes in a number of different places. There is iTunes. There is YouTube. There is weeklymongerecap.podbean.com. Or you can also just download all of our episodes and listen to them at your convenience. Uh, if you check us out in those places, though, it really helps us if you leave a comment, leave a rating, all that kind of stuff. Help out with the algorithms. Help us to beat the woodworkers and rise to the top of the hobby section. You can additionally send us feedback uh, via email, weeklymongarecap at yahoo.com. You can also check out our Discord server uh, where you can check out a number of different conversations, just general hangout stuff. 
there is also the best place to uh, find the big ass spreadsheet that Ninja X3i maintains uh, for us. Does us a really big favor by keeping track of all the recommendations we've done, the end of year supplementary awards that you guys can vote on for your, like your favorite moment, your favorite two page spread, that kind of thing that we'll go over in a few months. Uh, and also just uh, really helpfully um, keeps track of all the recommendations that are coming in and the ones that we've already fulfilled. So if you're curious to see like, hey, there's this one manga that I uh, was wondering if you guys have had some thoughts on, you can check it out to see that, hey, we covered that in like 2011 or something like that. Or if you see that, hey, a bunch of people are, you know, uh, already recommending it, you can add your voice to that and say, hey, I want you to really cover, you know, I don't know, another Pokemon manga. We've gotten a lot of recommendations for like Yu-Gi-Oh and all sorts of stuff. There's a lot of people stuff that people want to do. Uh, Sadistic Sedemter is pretty close, is coming pretty close. So if you have an idea for a really shitty bad series, then uh, definitely bring that up because we're going to have to pick that out in about a month or so. So wait, September's upon us, Nick. Sadistic September is uh, a month and a week away. Yeah. You know what that means? It's What's also going to be the NFL season. Both of our teams suck. <laughs> hey, the Giants could maybe be. All right. <laughs> they could they could go eight and eight, maybe. That's the best I could hope for. They'll probably go uh, five and ten or five and eleven. Man, I can't wait to ha- to find out what our head coach is going to be next season. <laughs> <laughs> So, Chris, you may think that you have it bad. At least there was like a good 10 year period where you weren't constantly flipping between assholes who weren't giving us a chance. (laughs) There was a moment today where I actually I stopped and I thought I was like, who is the Giants coach right now? I was like, oh, right. It hasn't been like seven different people. I could I could trace that back like a pretty like strict like five people before I'm like, oh, yeah, Tom Coughlin it was then. Who was it 10 years ago? Tom Coughlin. <laughs> uh, I'm, like, I'm like, Nick, who was the Bucks coach four years ago? Like, uh, <laughs> well, Let's see. Hang on. It was Raheem Morris. And then it was. <laughs> You're like, I know Josh McCown was the quarterback for some reason. That's all I know. <laughs> Jeff Garcia was the quarterback at some point. <laughs> <laughs> all I know, there's been a 90% chance Josh McCown was on our roster somewhere. <laughs> I think it was Luke McCown who was our quarterback, not oh. Josh McCown. <laughs> Well, how can I mix those two up? Well, Josh McCown did have a much more successful career (laughs) by the end of it, actually. (laughs) Journeyman. Anyhow. Good times. Anyway, football. (laughs) Every person listening to this podcast like, what the hell are they talking about? They've already stopped listening. We talked too much about the pigskin. Anyway. Special thanks to go out to all of our Patreon supporters. You support us great, all sorts of fun bonus content for you guys to enjoy. Patreon.com slash recap. And to Steve Manor Talk Artist, as I already mentioned, and Ninja X3i for the spreadsheet. Infamous plan for the stuff that you do. Milo Stillitz and Winsley Dale Cheddar for the opening sequence of the show. And that is going to do it. Thank you guys for joining us, and uh, we'll catch you next week. Bye!